Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. Tanya's bringing the outline around. Talking this morning on He is our peace. He is our peace. Let me just say this morning that we're living in a world that is in conflict. We're living in a world that is in chaos. And there's a lot of people that want peace. This is not necessarily my introduction, but here's the answer. Jesus is the answer. The cross is the answer. For all strife, all discord, all division. For all the chaos in your home, Jesus is the answer. The strife that's in your home, Jesus is the answer. How many believe that? He's the answer. I know that may sound cliche that Jesus is the answer for the world, but He is. He's the solution. In fact, you look at schools today and you've got people being bullied and people being shot and killed. Why? Because years and years ago they took prayer out of school. And then people want to know why you got so much problem in school today. Well, you took God out. He was the answer. And you took Him out. Is that okay? I know it's not politically correct, but that's the reason. Let's get into my text. Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 14. On the screen, it's on your handout. Paul writing to the believers in Ephesus. He says this, For He, referring to Jesus, is our peace. Who has made both one, referring to Jew and Gentile, and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity or hostility, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, For to make in himself of twain, that means two. One new man so making peace. And that he might reconcile both to God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were far off and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. He is our peace. Father, today I ask that you guide my thoughts, guide my words, and help me to say only what needs to be said, and I pray for open hearts and open ears. And Father, we'll give you praise and glory for all that's accomplished. In Christ's name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. He is our peace. We live in a world that is full of differences. There's political differences that lead to war, division, and strife here in America and around the world. You have social differences in areas like homosexuality, abortion, and different ways of living, and these differences cause division. You also have differences in the home. Sometimes there's fighting between spouses and between children, and between parents and children, and even between extended members of the family. And these differences also translate into division. But sadly, you also have differences in the church. 
You have differences in styles of worship, doctrinal belief, types of music. You have differences in dress codes and many other kinds of differences that create division and chaos and conflict in the church. But in this chapter, chapter 2, Paul is attempting to teach us that in Christ all our differences are put to death. He's wanting to us to know that in Christ we have come together. We've been adopted into the family of God and that we are united and one in the body of Christ. He's wanting us to know that even though the world may fight their wars and society may argue over different agendas and homes may be divided, the church should be a place where unity and peace should prevail. You see, the house of God, the church of God, the body of Christ ought to be a place where unity is found. In fact, the writer in the book of Psalms tells us that it's good for brethren to dwell together in unity. And it says that it's there where unity is found that God will command the blessing. That it's like the anointing oil that runs down the beard of Aaron. You see, I believe that unity and the anointing go together. But when you have chaos and conflict in the house of God, you'll not have the presence of God and the power of God like you need them. But when you can find people who stand together and be united and they'll go arm in arm together and say, hey, we're not going to be divided, but we'll be in, in sync and we'll be in harmony, you'll find the power of God flowing in the midst of that congregation. And so here's the thing. We can't let things divide us. We can't let personal preferences divide us. Why? Because Jesus is our Lord and Savior. That means personal preferences and even convictions. We shouldn't let those things drive a wedge between us. So in our passage today, Paul teaches us that in Jesus... There's no longer Jew or Gentile. There's only Christ and those who are in Him. Paul wants us to know that in Jesus, those who were formerly at war are made to be at peace. He's telling us that we have peace with both men and with God through Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going to look at this passage and preach on that thought. He is our peace. This verse, these verses give us some lessons that we need to Take to heart. So number one, I want you to see first of all what Jesus destroyed. What Jesus destroyed. We see this in verse 14 and 15. Paul tells us right there in verse 14, he says Christ is our peace. He is our peace. In fact, what did the prophet Isaiah tell us when he was talking about the birth of Jesus? That he would come, he would be wonderful counselor, mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince peace. So Jesus is our peace and what Paul is saying is that Jesus is the ground of peace for both the Jew and the Gentiles. In other words, even though the Jews were God's chosen people, they could never earn peace with God through the law. They could never earn peace with God through the rituals and sacrifices and their attempts at the law. You see, regardless of what they did, they would still be sinners in His sight. Even though the Jews could rightly say, God is belongs to us or He is our God. They were still lost in His sight. But the Gentiles, think about them. They had no way to approach God. You'll remember from a couple weeks ago when I preached on being brought near by the blood. 
The Gentiles, they were without hope and without God in the world. So they had no way of securing peace with God. They had no hope of the Messiah. They, they, they were strangers to the covenant of Israel. And so, Jew and Gentile couldn't have peace with each other and they couldn't have peace with God. And so the law couldn't do it. The sacrifices couldn't accomplish it. The works of the flesh couldn't make it a reality. But Jesus accomplished peace when He died on the cross. You'll notice that Paul says he broke down the middle wall of partition. You see, in his death, in his crucifixion, Jesus brought some things to an end. Notice what he destroyed. He, he destroyed a social wall. Paul talks about the middle wall of partition. This refers to the wall that stood between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the Jews in the ancient temple which only Jews could enter. In one commentary it said this, the Jewish historian Josephus wrote that on this wall there was an inscription, there were signs hanging at the entrance to this court of Gentiles in Greek and Latin that read this, No foreigner may enter within the barricade that surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. That's the hostility between Jews and Gentiles. That they were barricaded from each other even at the temple. That only Jews could go in to worship God. And there was a wall that separated Jews and Gentiles. And if a Gentile was caught going into the court of the Jews, he would be put to death. Hostility between them. They were opposed to each other. There was a great social barrier there. A great social wall there. No common ground between them. They hated each other. They looked at Gentiles, Jews did like they were gods. But when Jesus died, He dismantled that wall and brought the Jew and Gentile together in Himself. You see, in Jesus there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is only the redeemed believer in Christ. Let me give you some verses that prove it. Colossians 3.11 says, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, barn nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Let me give you another one. Galatians 3.28 There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Here's what John MacArthur said. He said, There is no Jewish or Gentile Christianity, black or white Christianity, male or female Christianity, free or slave Christianity. There is only Christianity. Our one Lord has only one church. Listen, it's not... As he said, Jewish Christianity, American Christianity, not white Christianity, black Christianity, Hispanic Christianity... It's one Lord, one Savior, one faith. One church. Regardless of what your cultural background is, regardless of what your skin is, if you believe in Jesus, we're one church and we're going to one heaven. Not a Baptist heaven, a Presbyterian heaven, a Pentecostal heaven, a holiness heaven. It's one heaven where all the redeemed go. Amen? Because He died for all. So He tore down a social wall. But I want you to notice something else. He destroyed a spiritual wall. Verse 15 says, He abolished in His flesh the enmity. 
That word enmity, it means hostility. Well, the source of the hostility between the Jew and the Gentile was the law. Because the law made a distinction between Jews and Gentiles. God gave them certain dietary laws and things of that nature. So there was a distinction between Jews and Gentiles. And so you have the Jews that despise the Gentiles because they dishonored and disregarded the law of God. And the Gentiles despise the Jews because they sought to keep the law. And so you've got conflict there. So the law, it stood as this great wall of division between the two groups. But can I tell you what the greatest hostility that existed was between God and man? Even though you've got these two rival groups who want to butt heads, one who wants to keep the law and one who wants to disregard the law, that's not the greatest hostility that existed. The greatest enmity that existed was between lost people and God. Because none of us had the ability to keep the law. None of us had the ability to be acceptable to God. And so we were all enemies of God. We were all hostile to Him. You see, we all were sinners and stood guilty before a holy God. We were all guilty of violating His law. And we were all destined to face His judgment. But when Jesus died on the cross, He not only tore down the social walls, that separated men. He tore down the spiritual walls between sinners and God. You see, Jesus, He took Gentiles and Jews and He created in Himself one new man. Isn't that what the text says? That in Himself, He brought the two together and He made one new man. In other words, what does that mean? He made the body of Christ. He made the church. And I believe that's what the church on earth ought to be like. It ought to be what Jesus made it to be. That regardless of what you look like on the outside, that if you put your faith in Jesus, we ought to all go to come together under one roof and worship the King of kings and Lord of lords because that's what it's going to be like in heaven. But the only way that you and I can come together is because you and I can go to God and the hostility has been slain. What separated us from God was sin, but Jesus Christ took care of it. You see, in Christ, our differences disappear. We're made right with God apart from the law and we're made right with one another. You see, in Jesus, everything that stands between people is destroyed. In Jesus, everything that stands between sinners and God is destroyed. Hear me this morning. Jesus took every hindrance and every barrier out of the way, including the law. You see, by fully keeping the law, he, didn't, he said, when he walked this earth, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. And so by fully keeping the law, he fulfilled the law, and he rendered it ineffective. He rendered it inoperative. Listen to these verses, Romans 10, 4. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. I think the King James says something like this, For Christ is the end of the law unto righteousness for all that believe. He's the end of the law to those that believe. Colossians 2 verse 13 through 15. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature, because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for He forgave all, your sin, all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. 
In this way, he disarmed the spiritual powers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The charges that were brought against us, he took it to the cross and it was nailed there. You see, through his death, he rendered the law ineffective. Because the law can never make us right with God. We can never keep it. Now the law is spiritual, the law is holy. It shows us our sin. We can never measure up. So here's what I want to say to us this morning. As believers, the law holds no claim over us any longer. We're free from its power to condemn. In Christ, we are freed from the law. That's why Paul says this in Romans 6, 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. You see what it says? Not under law, but under grace. Let me just say this. I mean, we've got to move on. Some people... You, you me tell you what the law does? The law makes you aware of your sin. And that's why some of you always walk around in sin consciousness. Because you're living under law. Because that's what the law does. But grace says you're forgiven. Grace says Jesus took care of you. But if you're always living under law of rules... You're always going to be aware of how you never measure up. And that's why you always walk around in condemnation. But Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Is this making sense to you? Sin consciousness comes from the law. It makes us aware of it. But sin won't have dominion over you if you'll realize I'm under grace. And you walk in grace, sin won't have dominion none over you. It won't master you. Now, now it, it's not talking about just going out living as you please. But grace liberates you. Grace teaches you to deny the things of this world. But if you're wondering this morning, why can't I shake the, these things that I do? Why can't I always uh, shake... Uh, the guilt that I feel is because you're trained at the law. And that's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to get stuck under the law. Read the book of Galatians. It's all about people trying to get the believers in Galatia back under the law. The Judaizers are trying to get them back under the law. And Paul says you can't go back under the law and walk in grace. You can't have both. That make any sense? Jesus, he broke down the walls between Jew and Gentile, and he made it possible for longtime enemies to be brought together as friends. But here's the thing: Jesus also made it possible for lost sinners to be embraced by God. And I'm glad for that. That through his death on the cross, he made reconciliation possible on every possible every area of life. 
But now we can fellowship with people who look different than us, act different than us. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross. But we can also be embraced by God because of His death. Jesus destroyed some things when He died. He destroyed the barriers that separate people who look different than us. But He destroyed the barrier that separated us from God. And I think for that, He's worthy of praise. I believe He deserves our worship because of what He destroyed on the cross. Amen. But let me give you a second thing this morning. Let's look at what Jesus did. Let's look at what Jesus did. And we find this in verse 16. And I want to read it for you real quickly. It's not in your notes. It's not on the screen. But it says, That He might reconcile both to God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Paul told us, told us what He destroyed, but he, he tells us what He did for us. And here's what, it is, here's what it is on the screen. He accomplished our reconciliation. He accomplished our reconciliation. That word reconcile, it means to bring to a state of harmony. You have two opposing parties, but yet they're brought together in peace. They're brought together in harmony. You see, Jesus in His death was able to take those that were at war with each other and bring them together in Himself, making eternal peace. And so He brought man together with man, Jew and Gentile, and He brought man together with God. But here's the thing. The ultimate goal of Jesus wasn't to settle a dispute between warring human parties. His ultimate goal wasn't to bring Jew and Gentile together. His ultimate goal was to bring lost sinners to God. You see, His ultimate goal was to take lost, hell-bound people and make them one with God. He said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. I'm glad that social walls and social barriers have been torn down. I'm glad that Jew and Gentile can be one. I'm glad that we can come together and worship together with people of different skin color and people of different cultural backgrounds. But I'm glad that we as lost people can be reconciled to God. Because that's our greatest need. Amen? Hallelujah. Jesus through His death accomplished reconciliation. In His perfect sacrifice, He slain the enmity. He put to death the hostility that existed between God and man. You see, He was the one who received the judicial sentence of God for sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. He didn't die for His sin. He died for our sin. And so, the sentence that we deserved, He received. He paid the price that God required. And He he satisfied divine justice. If you ever read in your Bible that word propitiation, that's what that means. He satisfied the justice of God. He paid the price. Somebody had to pay it. Either him or you. And he paid it. He became a curse for sinners according to Galatians 3.13. And he provided reconciliation for the believing sinner to God regardless of race. God is no respecter of persons. And I want to point this out. 
We don't reconcile ourselves to God. And I want that to sink in. We don't reconcile, reconcile ourselves to God. We can't do enough work. We can't do enough good to become acceptable to God. In fact, I done preached on this earlier, chapter 1, that we are accepted in the Beloved. That's the only way to be accepted is in Christ. Reconciliation is the act of God. God is the one who reaches out to us and reconciles us to Himself because of what Jesus did on the cross. Listen to Romans 5.10. For if, notice this, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, how? By the death of His Son. Well, that's what Jesus did for us. He reconciled us. Let me give you a third thing this morning and we'll, we'll close. Let's look at what Jesus delivered. What Jesus delivered. We see this in verse 17 and 18. First of all, I want you to notice that He delivered a message of peace. He delivered a message of peace. The word peace, it, it shows up three times in this passage. Verse 14, verse 15, and verse 17. That word peace, it, it, between people speaks of harmony or unity. And that's what Jesus accomplished between the Jew and the Gentile. In verse 17, it speaks of the peace between man and God. Aren't you glad there's peace between you and God? Paul tells us in Romans 5 verse 1, it says, Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, let me say something to you. You can't have the peace of God until you have peace with God. You can't have the peace of God until you have peace with God. And so here's what Paul is trying to tell us. We're no longer at war with God. We're no longer His enemies, but now we have peace through Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus in His death on the cross, He ended the war between God and man. That through faith in Christ, we can have peace with God. So He delivered a message of peace. Thank God there's peace. But secondly, He delivered a message of permission. He delivered a message of permission. The text tells us that we have access to God by one Spirit. That word access, it means the act of moving to or the act of bringing to. In other words, when we come to Jesus by faith, we're placed in a position of being brought to God. You see, Jesus is our access to the Father. Jesus is able to take us where we could never take ourselves. You see, our sin stood as a wall. Our sin stood as a barrier between God and us. But when Jesus died on the cross, He tore that wall down. He took that barrier down, meaning now we can approach God. In fact, the Bible tells us that when He cried out, it is finished, when He hung His head and gave up the ghost, the veil was rent in the temple from top to bottom, meaning that now we can all approach God, we can all go to God and enter into His very presence. You see, there was a time in the temple that only the priest could go into the Holy of Holies and he could only go one time of year and he better make sure he didn't have any sin in his life because he'd be struck dead. But now through faith in Christ the veil has been torn and we can go to God anytime we need to go to God. We have access through Jesus. 
that's what He did for us. He reached out and claimed us and brought us to God. I said this a couple weeks ago. You just look at the cross and it's as though He bridged man and God. He brought us together. There's a story of many years ago in England of a young boy by the name of William that stood at the gate of Buckingham Palace. And he stood there for most of the day and he wanted to simply see the King of England. He didn't want to ask for anything. He didn't want any special favors. He just wanted to see the King. There were several obstacles that stood in his way. You had the wall around the palace. You had the gates. You had the guards. You also had the policemen that stood nearby. All those things prevented William from getting a glimpse of the king. After a while, as the day progressed, you had a policeman that told William, it's time for you to leave and go home. William pleaded with the officer, let me see the king. The policeman told him, it's not possible. You can't go in. About that time, the policeman, he snapped to attention. The gate swung open. A young man walked past the policeman and took William by the hand and together they walked through the gate. The young stranger showed William all the highlights of the palace and after a while, they came to a door and they walked through that door. William couldn't believe his eyes. There before him was the king of England. The young stranger said, Father, I have a young boy here who wants to meet you. Meet my friend William. William, meet the king. William, he didn't know it at the time, but his new friend was Edward, the Prince of Wales. By meeting the son, William had access to the father. <laughs> and here's the thing, when you meet Jesus, the son, you've got access to the father. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. When you get access to the Father, you have access to everything that He has available. You've got peace and joy and love. Everything you need is available when you know the Son because you get access to the Father. Because that's what Jesus does. He takes you where you could not go on your own. Well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by There's a lot of people trying to get to God their own way and through every other means. But Jesus said, I'm the only way you'll have access to Him. And I'm thankful today that when I'm hurting and when I'm broken or frustrated or upset, He welcomes me anytime, Brother Tommy, because of what Jesus did on the cross. That when I'm in that midnight hour, I can pull up a chair I got access. I don't have to go to some priest somewhere and get locked up in a booth and try to get absolved of my sins that way or try to pray some prayer to him so he can try to pray to God. I can get on my knees and I got access because of Jesus. Aren't you glad? (laughs) Aren't you glad you got access? 
when you walk into the hospital room and they say, there's nothing else we can do. You can say, Father, and guess what? You just stepped in. You ain't got to go through no long ritual. You ain't got to try to bring no bull. You ain't got to try to bring no lamb. You ain't got to try to sacrifice nothing else because Jesus doesn't pay it at all. You just got to say, Father, and guess what? You stepped in. Lord, I need your help. Lord, you heard what these doctors said. But God, I know you can. And you're in. Why? Because Jesus paid the price. You ain't got to draw, you ain't got to draw nothing out. This idea, listen, I, listen, I know sometimes you, you might have to tarry there sometimes, but listen, Father, and He hears. Because Jesus took care of it. Because I know sometimes we've been taught you got to toll and toll and beg and beg and plead and cry and cry. Jesus paid the price. Father, you got access. And He hears. Oh, hallelujah. That's all it takes. Because Jesus did it. Jesus did it. You know the Son, you got access. I don't know that this is blessing me. It might not be doing much for you, but it's blessing me. And I can go to Him. In fact, let me give you a verse of Scripture. Hebrews chapter 4, I believe it's verse 16. It says, Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive His mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. We can come boldly. We can come confidently. And you'll find what? Grace to help you when you need it most. Listen, you don't have to come like a pauper. You don't have to come like you're trying to get a handout. You can come because Jesus gives you access. And it says you'll get grace to help you when you need it most. God told Paul, my grace is sufficient. How many of you could use some grace this morning? How many of you could use some strength this morning? Go to the throne of God. You've got access because of what Jesus did. Why do you want to stay on the outside? Why do you want to struggle trying to do it yourself? Why do you want to stay back here thinking, I'm unworthy? Listen, Jesus makes you worthy. You're accepted in the blood. You know the Son. You've got access. Go in with confidence and find mercy and grace to help in your time of need. Preacher, He won't do it for me. Do you know Jesus? Go to Him. And watch what he does. Listen, you can't trust your feelings. Jesus makes you worthy. Let me say this ain't really got a whole lot to do with my message, but you wonder why some people don't pray? Because of that feeling of, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to ask God for anything. I'm not worthy to talk to God. Listen, Jesus makes you acceptable. Regardless of how you feel, Jesus makes you acceptable. Jesus gives you the access to go to God 
and talk to Him. Well, preacher, you don't know what I did today. I don't care what you did today. Go talk to God anyway because Jesus gives you the access and permission to go talk to Him. And here's the thing, if you messed up that day, go just, just go talk to God about what you did that day. And He'll listen. Jesus died to destroy all the barriers that kept us from God. Everything that kept us from running to Him, Jesus destroyed it so that now you can run to Him. Why don't you run to Him? Why keep it locked away? Why try to keep it secret? Why try to keep it hidden? Just run to Him. Say, God, I messed up today. Oh God, I'm hurting today, and I need you to run. But Jesus makes that possible. Is this helping anybody? It's sure helping me. Preaching to myself. closing I'm thankful that Jesus has made us one with him and one with another I believe that this is the message the whole world needs to hear Jew, Gentile, lost saved everybody needs to hear this message another reason that we so desperately need this kind of teaching is because artificial barriers often divide the church just as they do the world. Many in the church, especially here in the South, you got people who deal with racism, discrimination. People want to look at the color of skin of someone. They want to look at their ethnic background. They want to look at the culture they come from and think that we ought not to worship together. But it shouldn't be that way. Jesus tore down the wall. Jesus tore down the barriers. And there should be no place for that in the church. Amen. So some believe that anyone who isn't exactly like them is absolutely wrong. Listen, that attitude shouldn't be tolerated in the church. Listen, there's no place for racism or prejudice in the body of Christ. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. At the cross, Jesus broke down all barriers that divided us. And when God looks at us, He doesn't see skin color, He sees wants to see that the blood of Jesus is there. That's all that matters. You see, God, the cross is God's answer to racial discrimination, segregation, anti-Semitism, bigotry, war, and every other cause and result of human strife. The cross is the answer. You see, Jesus died to erase our distinctions. He died to make us one in Him. He died to take us out of Adam. He wants us to be one in Christ. And so until we come to the place where we are willing to walk in 
as one in Jesus, the church will never experience His presence or power as we need them. Until we come to a place of unity, we will always be less than Jesus saved us to be. And so, today as I wrap up with just a couple of closing statements. If you know there's peace between you and God, you should praise Him for His grace in your life. But if you know there's still a wall of separation between you and God, you should surrender to Him today and be saved. But my final statement is this. If you know there's division between you and a brother or sister in Christ, you need to deal with it horizontally and vertically so that God can bring healing and restoration and you can experience His power once again. Amen? You've got to deal with it. Because God don't bless a mess. How good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Christ is our peace. When we have peace with God, we should have peace with each other. Amen? Stand with me.